I invite you to take your Bible and open to Acts chapter 6. We'll look at verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We are continuing our study in this historical record of the early church. And as things develop, uh, there's no shortage of surprises in the Word of God. And it's very interesting how God chooses to handle things. One of the uh, one of the most striking things that we've noticed is that there's no uh, no amount of resistance to the church that God doesn't provide some way through that resistance. And the church just goes on. We shouldn't be surprised because Jesus promised to build his church. And if Jesus is behind the building of his church, which is simply the salvation of those who don't know him and the sanctification of those who receive him, uh, there is nothing that will stand in the way of God's work in his church. Uh, Jesus himself said, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. Well, uh, lo and behold, tonight there's another issue that comes up. And it's just out of the blue, and I want to I just look at it tonight, and it's there in all its simplicity. And the first question we might, you know, ask ourselves when we think, well, there's all these, you know, from time to time, there's these problems in the church. And not only does Luke record it, but evidently God allowed it, <laughs> which is, so why would God allow problems? And then, and then if you're writing a, uh, a witness to what God was doing in the early church, why in the world would you include some of this stuff? I mean, the, the part on Ananias and Sapphira, that's pretty, that could, it seems like that could be pretty devastating. But I just think it speaks to God and who he is. And I think the Lord tries to communicate a couple things to you and I. One is we should always depend on God. The work is not man's work. The work of the church is not man's work. It's God's work. And we're just, um, uh, uh, well, we could say privileged to be used of God in that work. So that's exciting. And then the Lord, I think, encourages us in the here and now that, you know, yeah, there are, there are difficult times. You, you acknowledge that. Uh, but God leads us through difficult times. And in fact, God makes, I think he makes the church stronger through difficult times. And it just, it, it, those, those uh, problems, if you want to call them problems or issues that arise in the church, should have the effect of us depending on God all the more. Because this endeavor is bigger than any one or any collection of people. So let's look at this. Uh, Acts 6, verse 1. Let's read it. We'll read through verse 7, and then we'll talk about it. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the 
Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnamas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for this portion of scripture. uh, Full of instruction for us and encouragement uh, to our hearts, we pray that you would you would bring it to bear on our hearts, Lord, that through the ministry of the word, we would be drawn closer to you, Lord, that our sensitivities towards spiritual things would be heightened. So um, we thank you in advance for speaking to us tonight through Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we have had uh, similar, uh, uh, I guess you could say, summary statements through the book of Acts. There, I think there are six or seven of these uh, through this wonderful record. Verse 7 is one of those statements. It comes right on the heels of another issue, another problem that occurred in the church. Uh, we've noted that some of, this, uh, some of these issues were from without. People in general opposed the church, like the religious leaders who weren't on board with Jesus. They were just into what they were doing with regard to their religion. And seeing how the church is birthed here in Jerusalem, there's considerable opposition 
to them. But there were also issues within the church. So tonight we come across an issue that developed within the church, something that needed attention uh, from the Lord. Now, as I was thinking about this, uh, these apostles, they're, I mean, they're, they're in charge, basically. They're, uh, you know, they've, they're preaching, they're ministering the word, they're praying, they're, uh, they're responsible to bring worship, to bring uh, uh, an order of worship. They're, they're, they're there to dispense the word of God so that people can grow in Jesus. And they've been up to the task every time they're there. They are, they're preaching, they're teaching, they're doing what God's called them to do. To get to this, yikes. I mean, think about it. Who was in charge of this? The apostles were. They were in charge. They were doing this. They were in this ministry of service, of of bringing, uh, let's say, benevolence to the widows in the church. Now, I say benevolence because I'm, you know, we, we assume it was food. But here in verse 1, down there where it says, in the daily serving, of food is in italics, meaning it's not there. You read on down, and we assume that uh, in verse 2, for instance, it says, the um, the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples. So those are the believers in Jesus. And they said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Well, I mean, we, we assume that this is a food ministry. But we don't really have exactly that they were ministering food. We have tables. We have serving, daily serving. So could it, I'm sure it was food. Was it just food? Was it other needs that were being looked after? I would say probably. But these apostles were were in charge of that ministry. And evidently things aren't going so well because we have what? In verse 1. A complaint, a guganamas, a guganamas. Yeah, in Greek, I like that, the guganamas. That's a grumbling, that's a complaint. And there's a complaint. Can you believe that? You know, every time we read a summary statement in that early church, it's growing, it's thriving. People are, people are rejoicing in God. And we get to chapter 6 and verse 1 and up pops a complaint within the church. What do you do with that? Well, the disciples were increasing. That's what he says. Now at this time, hey, the disciples were increasing. Now in number is italicized. Again, it's not there, but they were increasing. We assume they're growing spiritually and we assume that they were increasing in number. And at that time, they, I mean, things couldn't be better. This complaint arose on the part of the what? 
of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. So here in Jerusalem, you got two, uh, two different folks, groups of believers. You got native Hebrews. When they go to, when they go to a synagogue, they hear Hebrew or Aramaic. But you have these Hellenistic Jews. These people are more Greek-oriented. When they go to the synagogue, they want to hear some, they want to hear Greek. They want to hear their own language. The main difference in the two is language. The Hellenistic Jews, Greek. The native Hebrews, Hebrew, Jew, Jewish, uh, Aramaic, if you will. So there's a complaint, and the complaint comes on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. Now, think about this. This is taking place in Jerusalem. So you think the native Hebrews have, a more, have more of a tie to Jerusalem. The uh, Hellenistic Jews, they would have been more scattered about. They would have been more uh, cultured in Greek uh, philosophy, whatever. But they're believers. They're, they are believers here. And we have a complaint. And notice the complaint comes on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. I wonder what that complaint might be. Well, he tells us. He says, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. I like the, uh, what, the Coverdale Bible, 1535 in England. The daily hand-reaching. <laughs> and if you think that's funny, you ought to see the spelling of that. I can't, don't ask me. I can't spell it. Uh, but the daily hand-reaching, according to Coverdale. But there's this, so they feel like their widows are not, they're not being considered like the native, the Hebrews of the, or the widows of the native Hebrews. They feel like the native Hebrews, those widows are being favored in the daily serving. So what do the 12 do? And we have the 12, so it's the apostles. What are they going to do? This is uh, highly instruction, high, instructional for the church. Because they, you know, they don't, they don't look around and say everybody, you know, they don't say, hey, you guys need to grow up and you guys need to get with it. And no, they don't. They are using some good, what I would call common sense that comes from God. Right? This is God's will, and these apostles are going to make a call. And notice, most of those apostles are what? They're native Hebrews. There you go. I mean, can you imagine what some of the accusations might have been against them? They're native Hebrews. Hey, you are not treating the Hellenistic Jews, our widows, like you treat your own. Hold the phone. I mean, this is serious. I mean, this could be um, a major chasm in, within the early church. It has to be remedied. And these guys, it, you know, they remedy this in six verses. Praise be. I mean, isn't that amazing? Isn't God good? Six verses, it's over. 
They can go on with it. It never comes up again. Isn't that neat? Never comes up again. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples. I love this. They all get together. Uh, Have you ever had, uh, I think it's like this. I don't think this was so much like a business meeting as it was a family meeting. You remember those growing up? Everybody at the kitchen table right now, right? Something's happened. Everybody at the kitchen table now. And you get there and you're going, what in the world's going on? You sit down there in that chair and you find out. And, you know, for, for, for us, me and my two brothers growing up, a lot of times it had to do with us. <laughs> I know that might come as a surprise to you, but, hey, boys, you need to, you know, you, you need to pull your weight, that kind of thing. But I, I look at this as a family meeting. This is the body of Christ, and these apostles, they're, they're not going to let this go. They're, they're going to they're gonna solve this. So they call everybody in. And this is what they said. They said, it, isn't, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, this is, this is highly instructional, instructional to us. It is not desirable. What does that mean? I think a good way to understand this is it is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. I think we see here that within the church, there is a priority on the word of God, on the preaching, on the teaching of the word of God. And there's nothing that should usurp that priority, that is right there at the top. And these guys are saying, hey, listen, this is not good. I mean, obviously, they've got an issue. And they said, this is, it's not good that we would neglect the word of God in order to continue to do this. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. So it's interesting. This, this whole situation has, the, uh, has apostolic authority on it, but it involves the congregation who are charged with selecting the men who will remedy the situation. So they're supposed to select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit, that's a qualification, and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. And then verse 4, again, it is reiterated for us, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The church is a spiritual work, and the priority is the ministry of the word and prayer as well as ministry. All right? As well as ministry. So the church must be involved with prayer. The leaders of the church must be involved with prayer and the ministry of the word. That is the priority. So verse five is really, it's great. You know, a lot can happen between verse four and whatever comes next in verse five, right? I've seen that. I mean, you have, a, you, have you ever had a good idea in a church and 
you put that out there and then, boy, 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 what happened? What just happened? Boy. And instead of things better, you know, things get better, things get worse. So, I mean, we just read it. We glide along thinking, wow, this was so cool. They just did this and then they did that and it was all done and everybody's happy. It's not all, it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, it's just like God's hand is on the church. And, and even though there's an issue or a problem, and even though there's the potential for division and strife, God comes to the rescue through leaders and the congregation at large. And, and things just take an amazing turn in verse 5. Look at that. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. I mean, my eyes just about well up with tears when I hear that. You mean ever? You mean it wasn't sixty forty? It wasn't eighty twenty? It wasn't seven? No, it was the whole congregation. That's good. And then, it, but that's not all. It gets better. Watch this. So this is really good. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose. So look at who they choose here. They chose Stephen. And he is singled out, this Stephen, and we're going to hear more from him, a man full of faith. I think, now, I'm, I don't think, I'm pretty sure, I'm certain that any leader of any church, whether he's, you know, back then an apostle, you know, a, a pastor, in this case, a deacon, I think a major qualification is someone full of faith, full of faith. It's a work of God. The church is a work of God and of the Holy Spirit. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip. And we hear from Stephen and we hear from Philip. Later in Acts. And then notice the names here. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnamas, and Nicholas. And all of those are Hellenistic names. Every one of them. Based on the names, we, we could conclude that all of these guys are... Hellenistic. They're not native Jews, native Hebrews. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? And they were all fine with it. They said, okay, there's a complaint. So the Hellenistic Jews, those widows, they were complaining. So here's the solution. There's seven guys and they're all, by what we have in front of us, we're pretty certain they're all Hellenistic. But they're men, what? What was the key? That they're full of faith. They're full of the Holy Spirit. And they are charged with resolving this problem. They are charged with meeting out benevolence in the early church. And these, they brought before the apostles. So it was the congregation that chose them. They bring them, they choose them, 
They bring them before the apostles. And here it is. After praying, they laid their hands on them. Now, they weren't laying their hands on them so that they could receive the Holy Spirit because the Bible says they were already full of the Holy Spirit. They were already men of the Holy Spirit. So why'd they lay their hands on them? Well, because it was a charge coming from the apostles. That's why. And that's, that's kind of neat. You know, you look in the Old Testament, why did, why did people lay hands on other folks? Well, at times for blessing and at times for identification, just to identify with someone. There's no, uh, it's not, not really a, a mystical thing. It's just, it's out of love and care and concern and moving on in the church. And the, the apostles are putting their stamp of approval on what the congregation has done. That guy, Nicholas, uh, the Nicolaitans come up in Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, as a, as a group that were, were straying uh, from uh, sound doctrine. And Irenaeus, 180 AD, he says, this Nicholas was the leader of that group. We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. So I would apologize to Nicholas if he wasn't the leader of that. This Nicholas, if he wasn't the leader, but we have uh, at least some extra or beyond the Bible testimony that he may have been. But he's a proselyte. Luke tells us he's a proselyte from Antioch. And Luke was himself concerned with Antioch. So it's interesting that he does include that. So they bring these before the apostles and after praying, they lay their hands on them. And then verse seven, Luke tells us the word of God kept on spreading. And, and this is, this is what, this is what matters. But, but this priority of the word of God and the spread of the word of God can't happen Unless they resolve this issue within the church. So the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And I just love the word of God kept on spreading because that word of God was the preaching of the apostles. And we'll find out a little bit later the preaching even of a couple of these deacons who are preaching what? They are preaching Jesus as the one way of salvation. That apart from Christ, there is no salvation. So turn from your wicked ways, repent of your sin, and believe, trust in Jesus. His work on the cross, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And then the reception of the Holy Spirit in, in that trust and that faith and that belief. So we give God praise. It's just another testimony here in the historical record of God working in spite of problems. And then even because of the way things are resolved, things just keep, the, the blessing keeps coming from God. There is no, there's no stopping. There's no detour. It's just the church continues to be the church.
because God continues to be the God of the church and Jesus continues to be the message of the church as they continue to grow and continue to solve issues that pop up. Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that you are a good and gracious God, that you are the one true living God, and that you have taken thought of us, and that you presented your son, the man, the man who would build the wall, stand in the gap, die on the cross, shed his blood, rise from the dead, and ascend to your right hand. And all for us, all, that, all for us that we would look to him and be saved. That we would receive the forgiveness of sin through the shed blood of Christ. God, thank you. And Lord, tonight, if there is one here who does not know you, we pray that they would look to you and live. That they would look away from the world and what the world offers that they would look away from themselves and that they would look to you, that they would see Jesus dying as their substitute on the cross, absorbing wrath that we deserve. So Lord, we, uh, we just, uh, we're going to get up and leave here in a little bit. And we just want to say thank you. We, We trust that you'll go with us. We trust that you will draw us close to you. Our thoughts would be on you. Our comfort would be through you. And Lord, in this, we would glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.